Welcome back to the Scare Stuff Podcast. This is your host, Mike Calkins. This is my co-host, Scott Noyce. Would you like to tell everybody what movie we're watching today? Do I have to tell them or can I show them? Might as well. We're going to talk about Gremlins. It's one of my favorites, and uh, it's been a while. I named my dog after the main uh, main character. How do you feel about Gremlins? It's a great movie. Okay. Love it. So now that it's Christmas time, okay, we're going to talk about Phantom of the Opera, and it's actually not, you know, the one that I'm wearing today because that's not a movie. There is actually, like, a Blu-ray of the 25th anniversary, though. That's actually really good. You haven't seen it, right? The musical? Well, with Gerard Butler? No, fuck that. No, like the musical, like the good one. Oh, like in that no, is true. No, that no. that movie's out okay. too, but I really don't think about that. Well, when you were saying movie, that's what I was thinking of. I, I yeah, don't no, know. no, 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 no. Well, there's like that. a there's a Blu-ray of um the, like the stage 25th play, right? anniversary of like the musical. Yeah, I've seen that for sale. I haven't I haven't picked it up yet. It's really good. You should get that one. It's a great performance. I like both the leads. But yeah, we're talking about the one from uh, Universal. It's the 1943 version, and we're gonna do another film from Universal too. I wanted to make sure that when we did this like horathon of like all the different creatures, it'd be different. But the reason we're doing the 1943 Phantom is that it's not the most well-known version. Obviously the most well-known version is from 1925 with Lon Chaney. And this one's kind of forgotten about. So I thought it'd be cool if we talked about this one. I'm actually going to take that off now. How did that stick on your face? I put like, like a little strips that like you put on a wall. Oh, oh, like command strips? Yeah. Oh, I bet that felt great coming off your face. No, it doesn't hurt. Okay. I used to use like putty on it. You could use <laughs> adhesive, but like that that shit fucking hurts when it comes off on your face. I bet. I did like the Nightwing mask for Halloween. Oh, that shit always hurts. And getting it off like your eyes and everything when you're in the shower is terrible. Yeah, I have no doubt. I thought mm. about it. I thought about putting that on, but I realized it's definitely not worth the pain. And then having just little shine marks on my face when I took it off because it's not staying on for this entire episode. Yeah, I don't blame you. Doesn't sound comfortable. So, what's your um, what's your history with this movie? Because mine is very short, as in last night. I don't remember when I got so affiliated with wanting to watch like the Phantom movies. I think it probably happened around like five to seven years ago. I started getting into plays in I feel like end of high school, going into college. I started making a lot more friends that were more into musicals and theater and everything. And I wanted to check out more like theater uh, productions. And I always loved the idea of Phantom because I'm a big horror guy and putting it on Broadway is just genius to me. So I checked out the musical. I loved that. At the same time, I had already seen Phantom of the Opera from 1925. I loved that one. This one kind of always was like talked about, but never like heavily. And it's got Claude Rains, who's fantastic in absolutely everything he's in. And I, I was always wondering, why is this not talked about that often? There's already another uh, universal monster. Yeah. There's also the fact that that mask that he wears is the one they modeled for the Broadway show, but they couldn't use it because it, I forget if it was, it doesn't fit well when people are performing or it covers too much of the mouth. So they don't have enough free range for vocals. Mm-hmm. So they said, we're not going to do it. And that's why you have ones like this. Yep. Because it just made it easier for performers. But I finally got to see it. I remember when I watched it the first time, I was really into it because I think it was on a big boom. And this has been my first time, first or second time watching it after that moment. 
And that's my history with it. This is your first time watching the film. Yeah, I've heard you talk about it a lot. You brought it up to me because we, we've talked about the Phantom, Phantom of the Opera a lot just in general. So like maybe like three or four years ago, I, I watched the uh, the silent movie for the first time. Fell in love with it. It's one probably one of the most incredible movies I've ever seen in my life. So I, I already have like my own perspective as far as why I like uh, the Phantom of the Opera. So going into this was an uh, interesting experience considering I know the general story of, of the Phantom of the Opera. And this is vastly different. Vastly different. Yes. It's um, vastly different from the book. It's vastly different from most of the productions. Yeah. So I, I was I was I mean, I, I was excited just because, like you said, like Claude Rains owns it in like everything. So just just getting right. Like he's he's in three universal monster movies at least including this one this one he's um, including this one yeah he's in wolfman he's he's um the dad wolfman. wolfman's dad um and he's invisible man so he he and he's awesome in all three of them so i was really looking forward to watching this and uh you let me the blu-ray i read the synopsis in the back and i'm like this does not sound like the fan of the opera but i'm i'm intrigued so, so i watched the, it last night the big departure of it is that they do give a very different origin to him yes. a lot of the things that follow suit in the story which is about halfway in the movie really where it starts to follow more of the book but not only is the origin of the phantom different but also christine has two men fighting for her affections instead of just raul yeah um the stuff with carlotta is the same the main baritone for the theater was not in love with christine that Christine also her last name is Dae. It's not yeah, it's Dubois, not Dubois. But I was, I was really confused when I was watching it. I'm like, it's not a rights issue. It's not like it's it's not like it's uh it's not like Nosferatu or something. Especially because Universal did do the 25 version. Yeah, so I'm, I'm sitting there just confused why they changed the names on the characters. I mean, it's not a big deal. I think like, they wanted to make it va- vastly different from the 25 version because the Phantom has a name. the same thing, it'd be kind of a waste of time, probably. Yeah, and like the Phantom has a name, and he's the central, pretty much. Uh, he's not. Yeah, he kind of is a central character. Him and Christine actually, they 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 divvy up screen time pretty decently between them. Yeah, you actually see his descent and all that stuff. Like it, it's it's quite different from what I was expecting. Yeah, I would say the movie's not structured like a horror film throughout more than half the film. Oh no, I was actually surprised by the uh, the amount of comedy in the movie because it's it is often quite funny i think that's just because it came out in the 40s because i think yeah. a lot of stuff in 40s especially for horror films they had a lot more comedic elements because that's when like the house of dracula house of frankenstein films are coming out the whole yeah. like um the whole dynamic between um raul and raul the baritone, and, baritone. Oh, I, why am i forgetting the baritone name but their whole dynamic is really funny at first when i was watching it i didn't like raul because he seemed like he was being kind of a dick like he isn't yeah most versions he he really grows on you as it goes on but yeah like their whole like uh they they both can't go through fucking doors <laughs> like they keep it's like abbott and costello fucking like like um uh three stooges kind of stuff but it, it's really goofy and funny and, and in a movie that has a lot of like um tragedy and um some pretty really tense sequences that actually had me audibly gasp more than once those are welcome changes they don't break the the tone at all they're just they, they they pop up every once in a while and it, it, it really isn't a big deal. And the great thing about it is that you could tell both people really care about Christine. Like yeah. usually in love triangles, someone winds up being the asshole and and winds up messing it up for themselves. And that's kind of not what they go for here. 
Also, for a film from from 1943, I'd say it's one of the only films I could think of where you have two male love interests and neither of them really get the girl at the end, which is vastly different than a lot of ways that would go usually. Yeah, I found that a pretty bold decision at the end where she she basically picks... Neither. She picks the theater. She picks the theater, not... So basically the whole whole movie they're telling her, you know, like... You can't, you don't have time for, uh, you can't have outside relationships and stuff. So you'd think, oh, well, she's probably going to go with Anatoly. But no, her relationship is now with the theater, with music, with the opera itself. And I thought that was actually a really cool choice. I don't think it's an easily recommendable film for when it comes to the horror franchise of Universal, because it's so vastly different. It doesn't stick its neck into horror very much, except for the origin and different moments. There's a lot less killing in this film than there is for even the book for Phantom. I wouldn't say he's more sympathetic than most versions of Phantom. You could almost argue he's less sympathetic. I like the way where in the beginning of the film, it plays off as not really like a love that he has for Christine. It seems more like a, how do I put it? It seems more like he really feels she's destined for more and he wants to unleash that. Like almost... Like if some musicians find someone that is a prodigy and they want to awaken the talent, it's not because, oh man, like I'm, I'm, it's a sexual thing. It just seems more like it's genuine care for this person and this ability. And I think the ending kind of does ruin that. I don't like that that much. If they stayed in that direction, I thought that would have been a much more unique way to take that. I still don't feel like they commit to them, it being a romantic thing though. Like I, I think it's, it becomes something else. I don't know. I don't know if it's that um, lit, that she's literally this, but it almost seems like, especially based on his age, that like he's he looks down to her as like a um, like a daughter figure. Because there's yeah, really no I, there's no romantic energy between them. Like that's there's not, not romantic energy. It just comes down to the dialogue that I don't like when he starts to take her into the the cave dwelling area from the opera house. It's like I wish that dialogue was different and make things a lot easier. I'd like to say that there is no energy from that and that it isn't like that because it's how i feel the entire film except for the end and that does conflict a bit with it i actually like the idea though of, of him like looking looking to her as like a, a daughter yeah figure i'd prefer uh, it especially in this film it makes more sense yeah i, I actually like that aspect of it i'll say i think the most ridiculous part of this entire movie is the ending when, when they're in the cavern and ralph fires one shot into the ceiling and the entire cavern collapses the problem I have with the ending is that it's just crazy. Like it's it's just no, it's too it, much. It's just like it's so contrived. Like they needed a way to finish it. Like they go down into the cavern. They're like, oh, this whole place is gonna collapse. It's like, oh, really? It's just gonna collapse randomly. And, yeah. Like and you guys can perfectly follow the trail. This wasn't set up at all. Like it was just like, oh, look, this thing fell off. So now the whole thing is ready to crumble. And it's if like, that thing's gonna collapse, there's no one checking to make sure it's going to collapse. If, before if that thing's gonna there? collapse, why is the opera house totally fine? <laughs> yeah underneath the opera house like yeah it doesn't make sense so like it's like when he fires one bullet into the ceiling it's like they act like he shot the fucking ceiling with a howitzer like it just it just the entire the ceiling just starts collapsing i think think that sucks too because this film is such a secluded area it's a small set where it's just the opera house you're in you barely ever leave the opera house and all it is is usually to like uh, christine's house and like one street the street there's also the composer the who composer, the, yeah they uh, produce music yeah, yeah and those still feel like small areas yeah and i like that everything feels small scale so when you have the ending happen it's a, a lot grander of a scale you see the caverns and everything looks very detailed and they have 
big wide shots to showcase everything. And it does look beautiful. I love that so much. Technicolor. I just really stunning. I really wish it wasn't taken away by the story, just conveniently figuring everything out. And Claudine walks her through this tunnel and everybody knows exactly where it is. And it's like, you guys really had no trouble finding this. And you're to expect me to believe that you couldn't find this phantom ever. Like you guys knew exactly where he brought her. Nobody followed her. Yeah, exactly. It's, it is weird. It's like, it's like they were, that's kind of the thing about the movie is like, I I actually really enjoyed this movie. Like I really, really enjoyed it. I love it. I I love like, I I think it's problems though. You have to say that a lot of things are glaring issues but you could enjoy your time watching it. It, it seems like the screenplay are like, I need to figure out a way how to end this. And I want it to end spectacularly. And yeah. everything leading up to that is actually fantastic. Like the whole, the whole stuff with the, the, the um, chandelier. Oh my oh, God. It's so good. It, it is white knuckle. Like it's, just, it's terrifying. And when it falls, man, whoo, I, I screamed. I was, ho- I thought, I thought like um, uh, Raul was going to like find him. Like yeah. he was going to find him before he dropped it. I didn't think that the, 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 the chandelier was actually going to drop. And uh, when it does, yeah, I'm like, wow. Like, when you said, like, you said before, he's like, he does a lot less killing in this. I'm like, I don't, a lot of people probably died when that chandelier fell down. You <laughs> never see it, though. Yeah, well, I mean, they can't show it. Like, the, the whole thing is that chandelier falling is the most impactful, memorable moment of the Phantom story from the books, or from the book, singular, and the movies and everything. It's like, he breaks the chandelier, and that's the last culminating event before trying to steal Christine and everything. Yeah, but I mean, I can't understand not expecting it happening because this film is vastly so different. different. It's yeah, not, it's just, I, I not just figured that they weren't going to do it, especially because like I don't know, it just seems like um, maybe that era of Universal Monsters movies weren't going to go for. But again, like their limitation, especially with like um, I believe it's the, at the time the Hayes Hayes stuff was going through and all that stuff. They it's not like they could show anything like. Mm-hmm. They can't show anything, both because of li- like limitations of the time, and also, I'm sure that they would get in trouble. But I just, I just like when I when they dropped it, I'm like, wow, they went for it. It did happen. They did keep it. It's also nice to see. It, it also helps that like they show wide shots of how big the chandelier is throughout the oh, entirety time- of the movie. So oh when it God. does fall, you can understand the damage it would cause. The fucking camera moves in the opera sequences are so good and especially the one where like they're 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 gliding through the 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 opera house like the actual like um the seats they go all the they pull all the way out and then they go around the chandelier and up into the box the first shot like that first that that big first shot and i'm like wow i'm in for a for a treat and the rest of the movie just lives up to that like the the visual the actual cinematography i am really impressed with for especially for the era i think the thing that is so great about this movie especially compared to other ones is that it feels so personal like everything in the film feels very tight-knit with connected to how a certain character feels or emotes it's not like the other phantom stories aren't personal they're super personal but they're stuck with certain characters throughout the throughway and i really don't care for raul for most versions in the phantom i don't love him in this one but giving two separate characters for raul and anatoly you get equal screen time with both of them yeah. The only characters that get more screen time than even those two is obviously Christine and the Phantom. But after you get to know Christine more, the Phantom has less and less and less and less screen time. Yeah, I really like both Raul and Anatoly. And together, I think they're even better. 
because again that dynamic really shines especially towards the end like when 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 uh christine goes out to her adoring fans and he's like you want to go have dinner with me <laughs> to each other as they're saying like no i will not i will not have dinner with the three of us that's ridiculous it's because they're um, gay yeah dude totally they're gay now that's cool though yeah i i dig it i dig it. Do you I, think I you're actually that. hitting at that though in the movie uh i doubt it i bet it you could easily read it as that though it's you still it's still a comedic scene and it's meant to be like ah, eh, whatever we could be boys now but yeah basically I basically you... to me it reads like well i have a perfectly good reservation burning a hole in my pocket yeah. might as well go with you i guess yeah so. i can see them hinting at that though I can see that being definitely a way to read that. I, I definitely don't yeah. think that's an invalid way to read it. I just don't yeah. know if they were intending it. But again, like, I don't know. I don't know Who if knows? it's super intentional, but I think there's enough subtext to lead it to that. Yeah, it's it's definitely something that you could, th- that conclusion, like, I wouldn't say you had to stretch to, to, to yeah, get there. Um, yeah, 100%. Yeah, no. Neat. I think that's very risky for just the idea of that from 1943. Two, two dudes just going to get dinner together at a fancy well, restaurant like, of romance. Like we said, like, they both don't get the girl. They go out to dinner with each other. It's like it's like they're mourning their loss. Like, like yeah, right. <laughs> like fuck. <laughs> I found love in tragedy, though. You know, <laughs> and I just make a few kisses. Boys being boys, have some fun. But I just think that's really cool and risky to do for a film from that era. And yeah. I wouldn't expect it, especially knowing how the film usually plays out or the story usually plays out. It's really out of nowhere, and. I think that's kind of really neat. And I that's why I kind of, I wouldn't get mad that people don't talk about it, but I'm always confused. Like there's a lot to this version to love. The spectacle alone and just how ingrained it is to the musical aspect and the theater aspect is super passionate. And I don't, it's not like I don't understand why they haven't pursued that more in other versions, but I think it's a real lost element on why the theater is special in general. I agree. I also, I think a decent part about it is that at least from my searchings because after i finished watching it i'm like oh i want to buy this for myself on blu-ray it's tough can't get it it's tough i had to i, I have had to, go to really eBay. look for it man i have to go to ebay to get it and... oh yeah you have to go to ebay to get it or you can go and spend 140 dollars on the complete package of all the universal horror films yeah it's, it's out of print so like i understand why people don't talk about it just because i feel like a lot of people just haven't seen it more so nowadays yeah but even then it wasn't very prominent no i remember i was people are talking more about about the the silent eras yeah and it sucks you can't overshadow lon chitty's performance but there's a a way to respect two different films acknowledge the differences and love them both in different ways they did a film of jekyll and hyde in 1931 which is easily the most prominent and thought of film for jekyll and hyde and they did a remake of it in 1941 and the 41 version is also fantastic if that 31 version didn't exist people would consider the 41 a classic in its own right but just because the 31 does exist people don't consider it as much and that really does suck when you have another fantastic film covering the same property but it's just not getting the same limelight why can't we just appreciate both films why does one have to get all the limelight and the other one doesn't I'm not saying I I love the 41 to the same level as the 31. The Jekyll and Hyde 31 film is one of the best horror films of that year, bar none. I like it more than I like Frankenstein. It's a fantastic movie. Everyone should see it. But that doesn't mean the 41 is just fucking second fiddle garbage. It's another amazing film covering the same subject matter. Yeah, it's kind of sort of like, I mean, like not exactly, but thinking about how like people really talk about the Bela Gozi 
a Dracula movie and then they forget that there's a Spanish version, which a lot of people love. Yeah. Um, it's filmed on the same sets, but like completely different team cinematography is completely different a lot of people really like that version of dracula but people don't talk about it because it's literally just a special feature on blu-ray yeah. so yeah it's it's sad because i mean that's that's kind of the whole thing with with a lot of actually no i was gonna say like it's kind of funny that era of, of movies is interesting because nowadays if something gets remade it's automatically everybody's mad Back then, it's like the remake wound up being the one that people cared the more about. So I find that very fascinating. Do you think so? Yeah. I just named two times where the remake was cared less about. Oh, I had that backwards. Yeah. <laughs> Whoops. But still, e- either way, though, back then, like the, the, the remake remakes... isn't an idea that kills theater. It's, yeah. it's another idea that gets people to go to the theater more so. At least, I guess, I guess what I should be saying is that it's interesting that nowadays re- uh, reboots are so taboo actually yeah i mean nowadays yeah. not i mean they are in, in a movie goer's eyes though like, nowadays the audience gets mad at the thought of hearing the words reboot or remake yeah nowadays it's a little bit less so just because it doesn't happen as much yeah especially in the I'd horror community like it's, it's kind of stopped was, late tw- 2000s and early 2010s it was a very consistent thing happening well now it's more like the, it's it's the year of requels where yeah. they're just going back to old franchises and and uh, making a sequel to a, the original movie or whatever. Like they're doing that, like the, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie that's coming out this year is doing that. They're bringing back Sally. Um, really? Yeah, it's not the same actress. It's got a different actress. Why? I don't know. I don't know what's up with that, but it's, it's, oh. it's produced by Fede. It's produced by Fede Alvarez. So I'm going to see it. <laughs> I'm gonna oh, give it a chance. Man. I don't like the idea of that. It's not the first time that they've done this. Yeah, but like. The whole reason the first Texas is so great is because these characters just randomly happened upon it. Yeah, Texas I, I, Texas shouldn't be a franchise in my opinion. It shouldn't. So. Texas should never be a franchise. I love two. Like well, I, two is different love though. Two. Two's, two's two is completely different. Very tongue in cheek. You know what I mean? Like yeah, but like it should not be a franchise. It just straight up shouldn't be. Like it's it's the only one of these slasher movies where I'm like, there's no reason to make another one of these. Oh, a hundred percent. That's um, why like bringing Sally back is just. a stupid idea i mean i'm not gonna Texas get mad shouldn't until have like, a tommy jarvis or shouldn't have like a laurie you're, you're right but like um yeah. yeah i i i um i don't know i like i'll wait till the till trailer comes out oh yeah i'm I never gonna judge a film on something that hasn't come out yet but, but the i agree idea of it does sound ridiculous <laughs> as a movie as a franchise that should not even have a franchise i agree so yeah it's dumb but, but basically like these days we don't get like straight up reboots and remakes anymore as far as horror movies concerned I mean, like it happens you get like the, the black christmas one you get like evil dead in 2013 but that's even that even that's that came out years ago and that was common though it, it was it was kind of the end like of the that, final though. wave yeah yeah it was, it was kind of the end of it um i mean like, we, we get movies like again it's requels or prequels nowadays like leatherface was a prequel and you know halloween 2018 is a requel technically how many fucking times are they gonna make a fucking check texas chainsaw movie though like they've made a lot of texas chainsaw movies I trying know. to re- restart or reinvigorate that franchise and I, failing miserably i just don't watch any of them because the idea of it just seems so asinine to me like it's kind of funny doing? I, it's kind of funny i actually enjoyed the the leatherface movie the um the one the most recent one but as a texas chainsaw massacre movie it's ass like it's really bad but as just a movie i had a good time with it yeah it's just being connected to the ip can really hurt it sometimes well it's just that they do they do the, the nauseating thing where they're like they they dangle the character you think is leather because they act like they're like you don't know who leatherface is going to wind up being out of the out of the, the people in the film 
So they dangle the obvious person in front of you and they say, nope, it's this other guy. That's so cringe. And the guy that it is is just like, that guy is going to turn into Leatherface? No, he's not. No, he's not. I hate shit like that in general. It's no, it's no different than like the whole meta tropes or whatever. It's just, hey, you think it's going to be this guy? Ah, swerve. I like Predators, but they did that whole shit with fucking Tover Grace's character. Like, oh, yeah. oh, I wasn't randomly inserted. It's like, ah, dude, come on, man. The whole fucking movie. A- though, any swerve like... that happens in a lot of films like that, especially films that you know aren't heavily planned out, it just feels so ridiculous. Like, you think I'm a fucking baby, don't you? You think I'm a stupid fucking baby and you're going to smack me around and take my candy? I'm a grown ass man. I'll fuck you up. Like, you're not taking shit from this baby. Yeah. They. And they, oh my god, the Leatherface one was bad. Was bad for the franchise, but you should have seen Texas Chainsaw 3D. Alexander Daddario is fucking uh, Leatherface's cousin, bro. <laughs> Did he fuck his cousin? No, that's not. They don't. They thankfully don't go there. But they're, they're, they do a whole thing they're at the end. Texas where boy, she's all chained up, and they want like Leatherface to go kill her, and then he lets her lets her go, or he lets no, he's chained oh up. She god, lets him dude. go. And she gives him his chainsaw to kill the bad guy and says, get him, cuz. Oh, my God, dude. That's <laughs> so, so fucking bad. bad. It's so fucking bad. There is a cool thing, though. Like, there's a, there's a sequence that takes place at a carnival. I'm like, I need to see that more in, in slasher movies. That shit's cool. More more carnival-style slasher movies. Yeah, you should have more carnival scenes. Like, in fucking It Chapter 2, where they kill a random okay, gay a dude. Good, okay, a good one. Yeah. A good a good carnival scene. And I said imagine, slasher movie. Imagine not making a movie in 2019 where you're depicting a modern day setting in Maine, a democratic state, where you just had some random fucking guys just say, "We're probably gonna kill a gay dude." What? What? I mean, I'm I'm sure there's homophobic people in Maine, but oh, there's homophobic. They would they would definitely everywhere. face Don't repercussions for it. I mean, homophobia shouldn't exist, but it does, and you can't get over it. Yeah. But that is it, such it, an it's out a of touch scene. It's if a you scene filmed in it in the movie. 80s, I'll give you leeway. Like, if you yeah. filmed it in the 80s, fine. Exactly. It's supposed to take place in that time period. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but I'm more willing but, to believe but it. But that scene doesn't take place in the 80s. No, it takes place in 2019. <laughs> so, and you have a gay a couple just having a good time. And you have some random asshole, which if it was going to be the bully in the movie from the original. It's that like, I could see it. Oh, yeah, cool. Everyone saw that scene. They're like, it's got to be connected. It's got to be this asshole, right? No, it's just a random fucking homophobe. Like, okay. Yeah. He he doesn't get any fucking just desserts. He doesn't get any comeuppance. He just beats the fuck out of a gay dude. They gets thrown in the river. The the boyfriend tries to get him, and then he sees the clown. And then I'm now to assume two gay people have been murdered. Uh, the bad guy faces no repercussions, and that's a great way to start my movie experience. Awesome. Thank you. Bye bye. Okay. Sick. That's a way, great way to kick We're off. We're definitely two having hour, the same body as the first one, aren't we? Yeah. Good good way to kick off your two hour and forty minute long movie. Yeah. <laughs> At least it wasn't two hours and 40 minutes of homophobia. Yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, that's, I guess that's it's just two hours and 40 minutes of fat shaming. Okay. Oh my God. Jesus Christ. You know, I, I think I find it interesting how, how opinions on, on pre, on, um, remakes has changed over the years. I don't, I'm never against a remake, you know, these films, especially. I, I always like the idea of getting something that was once great and maybe having a new version of that for a new audience. Like, you can always have the affinity for that IP and say, I love that I had this growing up, but wouldn't you think it'd be great if your son or your little cousin or something could have that same affiliation with that IP? It's just not the one you loved. Yeah. Sometimes, I, I mean, you could always show it the one you loved. Maybe they're not going to hate it. Maybe they'll love it just like you do. 
a lot of times my uncle could be a real pain in my ass, but the man has a good taste in film. <laughs> he, he shows me a movie and I'm like, you know what? He's right. I loved it. I'll literally be having the shittiest day. Or I'll just be annoyed. He goes, don't watch this movie. I'm like, no, I don't want to watch this fucking movie, dude. Leave me alone. It's like, I'm going to put it on. It's like, what the, what the fuck did I just say? He puts it on. I sit there for like two hours. I'm like, that son of a bitch did it again. Like every single time. He's never <laughs> once shown me a movie I haven't liked. And it's great to have kids have that experience with films that you love. But sometimes you can show a kid a film you love. And they're like, you're a boomer, dude. Fuck you. This sucks. And you're like, what happened, man? Did I get old now? Yes. Fuck, my joints hurt. But what if they get a new film that's based on the IP and it's a little different? They're like, oh, yeah, yeah. I kind of I like that. That's pretty cool. It's like, yes, dude. Thank you. You understand. Now watch the original, maybe. And maybe because they have some affiliation with that IP, they watch the original. They're like, that shit slaps a little bit different now. It's like, yes, it yeah. does. It does slap different, boy. Thank you. It's kind of it's like it's not in the horror genre, but when I, um, my dad tried to get me to watch Star Trek as a, as, as a late teenager and i was like this is not good dad this is this is pretty bad and i was but this is when i was watching the um this is before i started watching the kelvin i'm I'm about to trigger some star trek fans because i i enjoyed watching the kelvin trilogy so i'm like oh these are really fun 2009 and yeah yeah the 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 abrams verse or whatever it is kurtzman verse whatever fuck it's called um it's called the kelvin timeline but uh yeah, like I really dug that trilogy. I mean, the third one's the best one, so it's not directed by J.J. Abrams. Can't, can't comment. I, yeah. I have no affiliation with Star Trek besides watching like random episodes of uh, Next Generation. Yeah, but my the point around you get around to is like I enjoyed the hell out of those. Those are like not most new most Trek fans do not like those movies. It's safe, safe for me to safe, safe for me the third one because um, it's a lot more like the original franchise, from what I understand. But I, I watched those three, and then I went back and I watched some of the original series, and I really enjoyed it. So it's interesting how perspectives change. I'm trying to think about that for a horror film or something. Like I can't name many times where I watched a remake or a sequel of something, and then I went back and watched the original. I'm like, oh, I get it now. Oh, I fuck. I I got I got literally uh, my favorite. I watched the, the Nightmare remake first. I didn't watch it first, but when I watched Nightmare the first time, I liked it, but I didn't love it. And then I watched the remake. I saw my buddy in theaters, and I, I thought it was cool when I saw it. And then when I rewatched the original Nightmare, it just made me appreciate it more and like the remake yeah. less. It's like the like Nightmare on Elm Street is my favorite horror movie, and it's like I watched the remake first, and I really liked the remake when I saw it. And I watched the original. I'm like, nah, this is lit. And as it, as it's gone on, I've I've, I've enjoyed the the original way way more and i have i've personally on purpose never watched the remake again <laughs> so yeah you know that's that's one that i know off the top of my head is i watched the remake for for nightmare first and i watched the original and i loved it so i think that's funny because with a film like this phantom i don't see many people watching this one first before the 25 version I, everyone's going to watch the 25 version first. I, I'd i say nearly every single person in the world would at this point, if they're going to see it for a first time, it's going to be tougher to get your hands on this one. And I don't think Everyone's many people are going to assume. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think many people are going to assume this is the one everyone's talking about and watch this one first. But 
yeah. I do think it. if you did watch this one first and then watch the 25 one, you would respect both a lot more immensely. Yeah. It's also like, like a lot of people are like, well, this one's like, this one's like, they, they pick one and they say, well, I like this one better. So the other one, I don't even want to think about. It's just like, no, there are two different takes on the same material. Like you can enjoy both of them. They're, they're, it's, it, it's okay to like both of them. Yeah. I, they're vastly different movies in general. Yeah, they're, the they're first all... one is a lot more structured like a horror film. This one is this one's almost structured like a musical at times. Most yeah, there's a lot of singing, musical um, comedy, like you there, said. You know, there was a point to me where I was like, I was kind of just sitting there wait like through some of the musical sequences that felt really elongated, elongated. Yeah. Like they could have probably trimmed them down a bit. It's um, impressive. Some yeah, of their also awesome. stuff they're, is impressive. Like, but... In isolation, those scenes are really great because they're filmed beautifully. The Technicolor makes it all pop really well. The sets are cool. Like it's super cool. Don't get me wrong. It's just that in this plot, it feels like the movie stops to have a musical sequence. Yeah, and especially because this film is over ninety minutes during this time period, it seemed unbelievable. That's an epic. Yeah, and like, it it's funny because, like I said, I love this movie, but it's a film you have to acknowledge has a lot of problems, yes. and that is a problem. But at the same time, because these musical scenes are so elongated and they are, you have to stick it out it really does make you appreciate that theater way more. Yeah. And that's why when Christine does pick in the end that she chooses the theater over the, the guys, it's like, I get it. When Claudine says, I don't want to leave the theater. I've been here for 20 years. This is my life. You get it. A lot yeah. of the stuff that is so intertwined to the theater and the people connected into it, you're starting to understand why all these decisions have so much weight. Yeah. A lot of the time it's like, oh, Carlotta's mad about Christine for... She's supposed to be your understudy, but now she's shining. Oh, she's going to ruin her career. You're like, it's just a fucking, it's just, it's just a goddamn opera. What's the big deal? You watch this movie, you think about it. I understand why it's a big deal. She cares. This, this is not just an opera house. This is a way of life. Yeah. And when you get that taken away, you lose everything. That's how that fandom was created. And that's awesome. The way they tell the story, everything is so intertwined to that opera that it matters. Using the opera house as just a backdrop takes away so much love and affiliation with it. Having it be that interconnected thing that makes everyone feel like they have to be stuck to it, it's a strong move. A lot of risks are taken, elongated music, a rushed finale. Some of these things don't hit, but you can understand the passion and the what, like, what they're going for. And that's why this film is so vastly different and intriguing. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I enjoy the, the sequence. Like, it's not like something where I'm sitting there like, oh my God, I'm going to knock three and a half points off because the fucking musical sequences are too long. Like, the musical sequences on their own, just looking at them, they're really good, like, especially for the time. Like, especially the, the Technicolor in this movie really sells. I just love the look of Technicolor. Yes. Like, it's just all the colors are so vivid. And oh my God, it's just, it, it's, it looks stunning. And especially with movies like this, that like musicals. Oh, it's so good. And I really appreciate there's certain sequences that it makes me really appreciate too. Um, like the final opera sequence where um the phantom comes out of the shadows and fucking garrots that motherfucker and takes his costume. Yeah. That's you because it's 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 a held shot. It's it's like a, a decently length held shot of him just walking out of the shadows and just fucking getting them. It's it's a really awesome shot because you can see him off in the distance and you're just like, oh no, that sucks. Like you're like you're 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 starting to get tense because it's like he's gonna fucking murder somebody. So that that was really good. That stuck on my mind. Like I I couldn't stop thinking about that. Um, that was a really cool shot, especially it's in the curtains and all that stuff. Beautiful. 
Um, and just that, like the cameras inside the opera sequence at the end too, following people through the opera, like all that's really cool. And having him like dressed up as one of the people in the opera, um, like you're bouncing around looking for him. Um, it's really cool. It's a really well well filmed movie, and especially like I haven't seen anything else by this director. I, like it's not like it's not like the Hammer movies where like Terrence Fisher directs like ninety five percent of them. Or so how in like, the beginning of the silent film to like sound film for horror todd brown and get a lot of stuff too yeah i did see i did see um when the the opening credits were playing i got really excited because i saw um jack pierce did the yeah, makeup, the makeup. Yeah. yeah and uh i was like oh man we're gonna have a really cool looking uh phantom makeup and he looks pretty pretty sick honestly for the time yeah when he pops that mask off, i'm like that's fucking gnarly like that was really gnarly for the time so i was really i was really impressed I was also very impressed that only the side of his face got melted and not the whole entire fucking face. Isn't it? It's astounding that this film has the top mask where it covers both sides and yet it covers the exact amount that would be used in the musical. Yeah. Isn't that so weird and astounding? I was just confused because I was expecting because he got slapped in the face with a full face of acid. Yeah. I was expecting his face to be completely fucked. Yeah. Again, like I bet you if they did that, they get in trouble. Maybe, like uh, I would assume. Uh, also, it's I'm sure applying even that much makeup in that era was not fun for anybody. Judging by some of the stuff that happened on like The Wizard of Oz, I, I hear a lot of that makeup for most most movies that involve heavy makeup in that era were very unpleasant. Well, especially for Lon Chaney, that's why he's an alcoholic. Yeah, so it's like I, I can't really blame them for not going like full face with it. It's just that the manner in which he gets scarred. You'd think that his entire face would be fucking just gone, but whatever. It's, 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 that's a very, very small thing to talk about, like a very small nitpick. It's not even a nitpick. I don't care. It's just I, I find that interesting. It is interesting. I just think it's so wild that they went with a mask, as the Broadway show does, that covers only this much, which is exactly as much that gets burned, but in this one, the they mask the goes over here, thing. and you don't need to. Yeah. Which is even funnier that they were going to go with having the top mask for the show, but they didn't. Oh, another really funny, uh, funny, like running gag in the movie is, um, was he a stage manager? I don't know what his, his role is, but every time somebody talks about it, like, oh, how'd this happen? And he's just like, like yeah. <laughs> the fucking, the red bearded ghost or whatever. Yeah. And then by the end of the movie, he fucking turns over and does the same thing. The guy who literally has a big nose and a red beard. Yeah. That's just that. That's really. It's, it's mostly because the guy's facial expression after he sees who he's talking to is just so priceless. It's really. I was really astonished by how funny this movie is, and it doesn't take away from the suspense sequences because there's some really, really suspenseful sequences in this, particularly like um, the sequence where uh, Anatoly is chasing uh, the Phantom through the um, the the opera, and they're running across all the the catwalks and. They're um, they're just constantly, you know, it's a big cat and mouse sequence. And at the end of it, the Phantom pushes Anatoly out onto the onto the curtain, and uh, he gets he's stuck on the cur- curtain. And he has to slide down to get on the rope and swing away. Um, that was really good. Like the, the stunt was really good, um, and it, that actually audibly got me to gasp when he got pushed off. Yeah, I'm sure at that point because you haven't seen the end of the movie, you think he's probably going to die. Yeah, because it's like he's he's a character that in my eye, like not somebody that's like important to the story that I know. So I just assume, oh, he's toast and she's going to go with Raul at the end. 
because this guy's toast. He's just gonna, he's just gonna die. Um, and no, he's he didn't die. And I'm like, okay, that's pretty cool. It's uh, but, the way it went around. It's just a really awesome sequence because the, the the camera work, it's just following them through the catwalks and all that stuff. It's really good. Again, like this, this is a very impressive film, technically and in um, the the performances. I think the, all the acting is really good. I mean, we we, we kind of touched on it a little bit, but Claude Rains is just awesome in this. It's almost upsetting because he's really not in it a whole lot yeah but like every time he shows up he he's he's fucking there man like, not a very subtle performance compared to the usual too like yeah, when you my, think of the wolf band he's got a commanding presence but sympathetic when invisible man he's he's manic he's manic commanding powerful audacious and in this one he's very subtle reserved uh he only has an outburst very, like once or twice yeah, it's just once when just the once when he strangles he's, a guy. Music's getting uh, stolen. Also, how how fucking like that to me is like that's not even powerful though. The way me, he that's does tragic. it, he still sounds scared. I think that's the coolest thing about this performance because you know he could do a crazy, powerful, insane scene, but he doesn't. It really shows how this man understands that the character he's getting for is so vastly different from the other portrayals he's done. It's just like. It's another one of those things where you can talk about how it's like, it's just a bad day, but it's not just a bad day because his life is the opera. His life is being this violinist. And when he gets this tremor in his hand, he loses everything that his life is. He's, he's, he's strode for. And his, the only thing he has left is this musical composition that he's afraid is being stolen from him. So basically he's, he's acting like everything has been stolen from him. It's like, he has nothing to lose at that point. When the sad thing is, is that it's not being stolen from him. Yeah, the, the guy's way- trying to get them to read it and pay this man and buy it from him. Like they're tr- he, this guy's trying to get it purchased for him. He doesn't know that, so he strangles the guy. And if he just didn't, <laughs> none of this would have happened. Um, it's funny. It's, it's really sad. If he didn't kill anybody in this movie, it'd be the most sympathetic version of the Phantom, yeah. because he doesn't deserve. He wouldn't deserve his comeuppance at the end. Unfortunately, you know, he does. He tries to kidnap Christine. But at this point, at this point, you could assume like his he's mentally he's just deteriorated gone. way too far. Yeah, I, I just I, I agree that like he does he does very unspeakable things, but I'll still I'll still say that I do have some sympathy for him. That doesn't oh, mean 100%. that it's, like, it's okay what he does or anything. Like obviously he like at the end of the movie, like he has to die. It's not justified. It's like it's not like it's justified the things he does, but it's understandable. Yeah, it's like he he he's he snapped, and it's very sad. You um, can't almost say it's justified killing the first person he kills because that guy's a piece of shit. Yeah, he's a con. I hate him, yeah. so I'm, I'm okay with him dying. But uh, like, I don't know. Actually, my I think my favorite scene is actually even before that. It's when he's at his his flat and his um, what's his housemate or whatever? Or yeah, comes in and 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 brings him food, and he goes and he sits down at his piano and starts playing solemnly. I think that's my favorite moment from him because the, 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 it's such a subtle, he starts to cry. Mm-hmm. Also, it's, it's a fantastic performance. Like he's incredible in this. And it, it, that's another th- reason why it's like, I'm really sad that people don't talk about this movie more. It's because like Claude Rains alone is a reason to watch this. It's like Invisible Man. Like it's just a different end of the spectrum. Like you watch, you should watch Invisible Man. A, a it's just a great movie, but his like um, Claude Rains' performance is fantastic. Same thing here. It's like it's a completely different end of the spectrum as far as what kind of performance he's giving, but it's so good. Like he's 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 a great. He's like an all timer. He's that good. 
my favorite scene in the movie is the first singular scene he has where he's with the the maestro in the beginning and he's talking about oh you know i i've pinpointed the the problem with the the violin section it's you and he plays the the melody of the lullaby and he does that and the maestro is very sympathetic towards him but it's like i i can't have imperfection in a theater and it's heartbreaking because his performance is perfect but even the maestro is so good in that scene. Like they work so well together and like, you feel like the emotional conflict, but there's no way it could end differently. Especially because like, you know that, that he's been there for a while. So like yeah. they know each other. It's not like he's like a new, a new recruit or something. Yeah. So it's like, he's letting, he's letting someone who he's, he's played with for years go and he knows it's going to be devastating. It sucks. It sucks for, for both parties. And that, yeah, that maestro is really good throughout the whole movie. Every time he shows up, he's really good. Even at the end, like he's, I don't know, he's just, he's just really good. All the acting is really good. I think Christine's probably the weakest actor in the film. Probably, as far but she's, as, a, she's as far still... as like a performance goes, because like yeah. the other guys doing comedy or whatever, it's like it's, they're not giving a dramatic performance. But her dramatic performance sometimes can be a little flat. But it's even, not every bad. time, every time that like Anatoly has a dramatic moment, though, he sells it. Yeah, and I mean, same, same the with characters um, like, like the stage manager and everything like they're they're comedy through and through yeah they're just joke characters yeah but you know anatoly has a great performance raul can be really good he doesn't he's not given too much strictly dramatic material but when he does it's it's pretty decent but sometimes christine almost sounds like blissfully ignorant when she's talking yeah she's definitely she definitely seems like she's kind of like um in this era one of those damsel in distresses where she kind of is just there Mm -hmm. to be saved at the end I think the girl the girl does a good job with what she's doing. I, I say the girl. I really shouldn't just say the girl. That's not nice. Yeah, she's older than you, dude. True. She's probably deceased as well. Susanna Foster. Yeah. She's really good. Edgar Barrier is uh, Raul. They're great. They're all great. That's that's the thing I gotta say about this is like there's there's some some movies where I could definitely like pick apart the acting in the Universal movies, but not here. Not too much. I mean, like, yeah, like Christine's probably the weakest link, but she's still pretty good. Yeah, she's not bad. I was she never mad. The worst. Yeah, right okay. I, I was never irritated watching her, especially like that's that seems like really backhanded praise, but yeah, like there there's some some people who can really get on your nerves in these kinds of movies, and she doesn't. She, oh she's, yeah, I mean, she plays a very sweet girl very well. Well, so. Invisible Man's probably my favorite of the original run of the horror. Uh, the horror monsters and everything yeah but oh man the james will loves casting that woman to be like the comedic relief and i fucking can't stand almost oh. every scene she's in same with bride bride is a fantastic movie but that woman she just chews scenery so much where it's like oh hey, I, this is so dramatic you gotta cut it out sometimes actually i should have liked her invisible man <laughs> purely based off of one moment Oh, when she falls on the stairs? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's sad and very yeah. fucked up to say, but it's, it's almost like, it's like a payoff, she shows though, up. She shows up in, yeah, like she shows up in Bride. Or, it was just Bride, right? No, she shows up in Visible Man first. Visible Man and then, but I saw, Bride, I saw Bride first. Yeah. So for me, it was like, oh, this lady is in both these movies. And I watched this one second, so I was like, "Oh, when she goes, when she goes down, she's like, thank God that bitch will shut up." Like, yeah, she is. She is hired specifically because she's irritating. Yeah. So me saying that, I feel like it's not that mean because that's kind of the point. 
Oh, I'd agree. It's the point of that scene. It's just like, it's supposed to be a big hurrah moment. Like, thank God she shut up. She's worse than Bride. She's much worse than Bride. Yeah, I like, I, I don't mind her in Invisible Man just because she gets a comeuppance from it. But yeah. in, in Bride, she's just kind of just there to be annoying. Yeah, I, he's a fantastic director, but he, he didn't cut her screen time. <laughs> she was just too much sometimes. And it, there's, you need to have some lighthearted scenes to cut tension in films, but man, she doesn't just cut tension. She just, grinds things to a halt and that's one thing that i can say in this movie never felt like that because it's not structured like a regular horror film like i said it's structured almost like it's a drama at times so when you have comedy it's like okay it's just comedy to have some fun or whatever and the duo never take away from what's happening on screen yeah it's never a situation where i feel like it's distracting from any of the drama also because the characters aren't just comedic relief a lot of the times they are functioning supporting characters that have to give dramatic scenes and when they're talking and being just regular characters you don't feel like they're just going to goof around or just take you out of it completely yeah i agree so that definitely helps this film don't mean to break how these things are formed usually but you know this is the first film where we really didn't talk about it beforehand because this is a first time watch for you even these other films that we've seen them before but it was a good refresher to talk about them or whatever beforehand but you know i didn't know how you were going to feel about the film beforehand and i would say re-watching it yesterday for me i was almost saying i don't love it as much as i did the first time but i definitely understood why it had an impact on me so i was very cautious to see how you were going to react when you when you watch the film yeah i mean like i i i heard you talk about this movie a lot and so I was like, well, this is one to finally cross off my, my Universal Monsters list because basically I just watched the, um, the first, ent- first, ent- first and second entries, in, if you're talking about uh, Frankenstein, but just like the inaugural entries of the franchises. And then I just said, okay, well, I don't have access to the other ones. So. But this one I had no idea what to expect from. And I'm really glad that we did this one because, I, I mean, it's just, it, it's, it's refreshing to watch a new version of a movie that you've seen before a new take on it if like if you're gonna if you're gonna redo something do something new with it and i mean that's that's exactly what they did here um and it's not like none of the changes are insulting like yeah they changed names which is weird for some of them um it's unnecessary but it doesn't matter it's not a big deal it's like it's not like it's not like christine being called christine Daye instead of dubois is gonna change my score i don't care um she's still the same character or the same idea. Um, and, and I honestly like the fact that we get like an origin for the, the Phantom. I mean, it's a little bit different. He has an origin in other yeah. renditions. It's just very, very different. Yeah. And also it's like, it feels like you get plenty of time to kind of get into this character. So like, yes, you can't condone what he's doing, but they, they, the best, some of the best villains are not, not the ones that you agree with. I see a lot of people being like, well, you, I understand this character, so he's like a really good villain. Like, I agree with him. He's, just, he's got some good points. It's like, that doesn't make him a good villain. What makes him a good villain is something is him having good setup, good payoff, making sure that the character is understandable, a, a fully fleshed out person. Because it's like, what's the point of watching a villain if he's two-dimensional? A fully realized idea. Yeah, instead of a half-baked one and thrown in yeah. there at the last second. So... I appreciate the fact that they took time to to give us more time with the Phantom before he cracks. Yeah, I think there's two ways you can do the Phantom. You either put a lot of builds up into him and really showcase who he is as a character, or you leave it up to mystery. 
And the second one's the usual go-to option, but I think having a, switch, having a switch like this where he is almost a fully realized, fleshed-out character and you have to learn about his downfall, that's, it really helps this film. And you made, you made mention about how it's not too often you get to see like a newer version or like a, a remake or reboot of a, a series like this. It's even tougher to have something like that be a reboot of a, a film, but at the same time be an older film where you could see these other techniques being utilized that are very innovative for its time period. Like how often are you going to say like, oh yeah, I saw an updated version of this film I watched before, but it's in 1950 or something. You know, you don't yeah. have that luxury a lot of the time. It's like, um, one of the cool things, like we, we talked about the Technicolor and like, this is all about like advancing with time and, and redoing movies with new technology, with new technology. You know, they had that one sequence in, in um, the silent era version where there was color mm-hmm. and that was mind blowing for the time. Like that was incredible. And just seeing that this entire movie's in this beautiful Technicolor just seems like the, the next logical evolution for that. So was, again, like taking advantage of how, how technology has advanced, especially because like in the era, I haven't seen from this era that many color films. Most of the ones I've seen from the 40s are black and white still. I mean, they, they, they made black and white movies all the way through, this, through 1960. Yeah, but horror films especially are still usually black and white at this time period. Yeah. So like seeing one in, in color was really cool yeah it is really cool seeing 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 everything in like it's not just like color it's like really vivid and it really fits the theatrical nature of of the movie because it's all about the opera and how like just really really tantalizing every frame is from a visual perspective so it's it's really cool that they were actually able to like they use that advancement in technology to enhance the mood of the film because i think the movie would be different if we didn't have that technicolor I think if it was in black and white, like it would still be a good looking movie. And it's not like it would be a, technically a, I actually do think, I think that this would have been a worse movie if it wasn't in color. Yeah. I think the film is so structured around the color being utilized Vibrant. that it would definitely hurt a lot of the camera work and the shots in general if it was in black and white. Yeah. I don't think it would ruin it. It's just, it, it would it's hurt just it like, though. Yeah. It's just like knowing like how much like they're really enforcing the, the love of the theater and how the theater is your first love. And all stuff making the theater so lavish and vivid and beautiful really enhances that so no i agree i think another thing that i really capitalize on in this film is just how important the soundtrack really is by being a musical for some yeah. scenes you know by having it be so bombastic you know when he has his concerto usually in the the versions of phantom of the opera it's don juan triumphant is what they talk about, and it's his big bombastic concerto that he's going to showcase to the people, and it's important into it, but when they do this concerto, it's it's emotional. It's not just something he's done. It's something he loves, and like it it breaks him down at the end when he hears it, and I think that's so a really something that heavy thing that you can only utilize years. by having this film structured this way. Yeah, and it lives with him through these years. Uh, he just composed it over years and years. And also it ties him directly to Christine in how like, like a couple scenes earlier, she had that scene where she was singing this, this melody with, with Anatoly. So it ties them directly together. And again, it really enhanced, like they don't directly come out and say it, but they act like she's his long lost daughter or something. And the reason why she knows this melody is because maybe her father sang it to her when she was a kid. I mean, they don't talk about her having an estranged father or anything, 
they, they kind of like to me that really ties that together and makes that relationship more emotional whereas it could have just been a damsel in distress situation whereas like yeah she still technically is the damsel but there is more emotion behind why he took her and all yeah. that stuff doesn't make it okay obviously but it, it, it's at least it, it's a more understandable motive kinder from, soul from from a, looking through a prism um, yeah i agree so i really love i love that and i love how how they they treat the theater in the movie with with the camera moves the color everything i think the funniest thing is a lot of films will try to like mimic black and white or whatever when they're trying to have people get into filmmaking or whatever like oh this is kind of like it was an older film you can't have films nowadays mimic technicolor whenever they do it just looks so fake or like way too vibrant the closest it comes is like stuff like la la land because they, they make it like a on purpose they do the whole thing in the, in the beginning where they say it's in like this division or something at, yeah. at, at the title screen and they deliberately make all the colors very vibrant yes um deliberately they do that so like that's the closest that they've come but it's still not really going after technicolor no it's, it's not. just going after very vivid imagery yeah um, i agree especially with like the sets and stuff um that's just the coolest thing about technicolor is that you you can't, can't do it again you can't yeah. mimic it it is what it is and like that's why films that are filmed in technicolor will always be so amazing to see for the first time because you're not going to get anything like that again yeah i agree it's, it's it is a lost the lost art yeah the last time that they made a technicolor film like an actual technicolor film was the godfather part two really yep it wasn't technicolor yep wow it was it, like, like I'm looking, I'm looking through it now, like, like New York Post talk about like, it's a very, Technicolor is a very expensive process. So it's something that died and they had other ways of, of handling color that were more efficient and um, cheaper. You know, what almost feels like it's in Technicolor. Some it's like, it's like shooting, um, shooting digital is cheaper. But um, another film that almost feels like it's in Technicolor a lot of the times is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Oh yeah. It, Cause it, it, he's totally going after that era of the 1960s where the, yeah. like things were all in technicolor. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. They're definitely going for that. I love it. I love it so much. Yeah. I know people don't love that movie or whatever. They have a lot of problems with it, but it's, it's a such a passion film. film. It's so passionate. I adore it. It, it's up there as, as one of my favorite of Tarantino's work. It's going to be a real possibly bummer. top three for me. It's going to be a real bummer if he ends up finishing his film career and doesn't do like a true horror film. Oh my God. Because he's such a horror buff. He's so he big on, on the, the types of films and everything. He can it's amazing on and he hasn't on. done one. It's amazing he hasn't done one. He's yeah. produced some real shit shows. Kevin Fever. Fucking. Uh, Kevin Fever's not that bad. I don't like Eli Roth as a director. Yeah, no, I, I'm not even saying that. It's just like, it's not a shit show. He did no, produce. Not. He did put his name on Hostel though, and that, from what I understand, he's just a big so. friend of Eli Roth though. It's just I like, know. It's just it's just like he. Well, no, no, he didn't. That that's not a horror movie. I was gonna say he he did a uh, Death Proof or whatever. That's not really a horror movie. Yeah, you know I, you know I would love to see him do do something really sick from a, like a, a horror perspective because he he does a lot of like awesome setup and payoff sequences where you could like you could see where he could transition into horror. Oh yeah, look at Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Look at the tension when they're on the the, the Manson Ranch. You know that. I mean, like, I mean, easily probably the most tense scene he's ever directed is the scene in, in A Glorious Bastards at the beginning. Yeah, that is that is the closest thing to a horror movie he's ever directed. I, like the Manson family scene is really tense, but that's horrifying. That that is a really that's a brutal scene to start out that movie on. So I I definitely believe he could do a horror movie. I would love to see that. Getting back on track, I should say, is that I think this film has a lot of prospects that will get people interested. And I really wish it wasn't so 
tough to get. It should be more sought after and more digested because its origin, its connections to theater is very unique. And that's something that it may take away from the horror aspect, but it brings more personality in. And I think that's something that could be easily utilized into other renditions and should be definitely seen by more viewers. And I'm glad that you did end up loving the film because it makes me feel a little less lonely in this world when it comes to this movie. Okay. Hey man, final thoughts. Uh, this movie's great. Uh, I, was, I wasn't sure what to expect going into it. I just knew that you really enjoyed it and you talked really highly of it. So I was like, well, I'll, I'll minimum enjoy it. Um, and I really, I, I came away from it really, really liking it. Um, and in the pantheon of pantheon of, of the, the fan movies I've seen, it's not my favorite, but it's, it really does help that they really went in their own way with this in, in, in certain regards. Um, I love it. Technically. I love the cinematography. I love the music. I love all the performances pretty much. It's, it's just a gorgeous movie. Uh, I, I just, I really enjoyed this. This is one of the ones like um, the first timers that I got to sit down and watch. And I really just, uh, was taken with it and I appreciate you for lending me the Blu-ray so I could watch it yeah I would also say it's not my favorite version of Phantom of the Opera I love you know the IP so much and I always find it very interesting and intriguing to get into it because a lot of them are so vastly different but what I do love a lot about this one is just the heart and soul put into this version of it taking things differently and really utilizing it and that's why I say it may not be my favorite version, but I do think it's a must-see because if you really want to understand the time period of it coming out, how to make things different, but keep it also enjoyable and also memorable and have a bit of a few things that made the original so popular in the first place, this is a great film to see. And I'm glad I got to show it to you. I'm glad you got to sink your teeth into it. really said, you know, I adore this too. And I just hope that more people can do the same thing. It, that's kind of one of the fun things about this podcast is that for some for some of these these are going to be movies that people haven't watched so much um they're movies that we can recommend to to wider audiences that maybe haven't seen them i mean we're gonna we're gonna talk about movies that are, are high high-end popular movies but it is nice when we go off on something that's more obscure and it's like this is a universal movie it's not like it's some tiny indie film that no one ever saw but it's not something that's talked about very much, you know, until you brought it up. I wouldn't, I, I don't think I even knew that this movie existed until you brought it up a couple of years ago. So it's kind of fun to be able to just illuminate those kinds of things to people. Also, we're going to be having that more of a frequent thing where we each watch films that we haven't seen before. Like if it's something that I'll recommend to him, but he hasn't seen, we'll make sure to make that more of a commonplace thing on the podcast and vice versa, obviously, or even films that we both haven't seen before. Like, we mentioned before on American Werewolf, we haven't seen The Howling, but we're going to watch that very soon. If you had to give this a scale of one to five fucked up half faces, what would you give it? I'd probably wind up going with four, sure. four, four half, to, half fucked up faces. Um, I mean, it'd be a little bit over the line, like out of, out of an actual like a one to ten scale, I'd probably give it like an 8.3. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a little bit over, but stars, it's not worth me saying it's a 4.2 star fucking movie or something. Mm-hmm. but yeah I, I i really really like this movie it has problems it's not like it's you know a masterpiece or something but it is it is a very enjoyable movie to watch and um i i can easily recommend this movie to people as long as i own it and can show it to them <laughs> yeah i would agree if Today's i could my friend. if i could i'd give it like 85 but for the i'll just round up i'll give it four and a half out of five raul pencil mustaches 
and his his painted on mustache. They both have fucking mustaches like that. I hate them both so much. Yeah, it's weird. It's really, but, really weird. But yeah, thank you for joining us. You know, this is a film that I'm glad I got to talk about, and I hope more people can also get into it and try to expand their horizons when it comes to Phantom of the Opera. And thank you again for sitting down, hearing us bitch, hearing us complain, hearing us have fun, and hearing us talk about our love for these films. So tune in next time. We're going to continue talking about the classic horror monsters. In this next one, we're going to go right back to the core. We're going to talk about the 1930s mummy. So with that being said, get excited, stay tuned, and we'll see you later.